So how do we start? Hey, it's Aga and Werner, and this is Catching the Next Wave podcast, where we discuss the future of design. Alexandra De Palma, a Brooklyn-based producer with a background in journalism. She studied at Columbia University and got a graduate degree in journalism at NYU. Alex was a producer at Fusion, a joint venture between ABC and Univision. And you worked at Minnesota Public Radio. Something I found very interesting, you were covering the UN at CNN. There was a lot of crazy stuff going on during like the Security Council and like all those meetings during Barack Obama's period. There's more. He's currently the lead producer for Midroll's branded content division. She produces a weekly podcast by Seth Godin, Damon John, and others. She's also the produces the weekly podcast, Food for Thought, a roundtable discussion podcast hosted by a multiracial mix of queer writers. Food for Thought was named one of the best podcasts of 2017 by New York Magazine. By the way, I clicked on the link to go see the list. I see list shows like Serial and all these other guys mentioned there. So I tip my hat to you, Alex. It's amazing. Thank Alex you. <laughs> also generously empowers future podcasters, helping them to unleash their potential and creativity as coach and teacher. Amongst her mentorship activities, she recently completed the first run of the podcast fellowship, a project with Seth Godin, and she's actually in the second one. It's a summer program where an online mastermind group. In Seth Godin's words, she knows what's up. <laughs> that was funny when Seth said that. <laughs> Thanks for making the time, Alex. That. It's really awesome to have you. Okay, uh, Alex. What is podcasting for? Well, podcasting is for storytelling. It's also for, and this is something that Seth made me realize a bit more when we were planning the podcast fellowship. It's also for um, people to communicate their stories, what they want to talk about, even helping them communicate things that they want to learn. So I think that the thing to me that's really unique about it is there's a relatively low barrier to entry. As you mentioned, Werner, I used to work in television, and, and that's something where it's you have to get a camera and you have to learn like a lot of different stuff in order to make a video. That's becoming different with iPhones, of course, but I think podcasting is a medium that people can basically just pick up a microphone and do. We know that we have to edit. We know that we have a lot of different things that we need to do to, in order to make it sound great, but I think it's a really good medium for people to get a message out there or connect with people that they might not have connected with. Now, how did you get into it? <laughs> it's funny how these things work. I was in journalism school Honestly, I was in journalism school because I had studied English at Columbia and I wanted to stay in school <laughs> and I didn't want to like be a doctor or a lawyer. So I was like, maybe journalism. So I was in journalism school and I had a professor who said that I had a really nice voice and that I should take a radio class. I took a radio class and literally like I, I just loved audio production. I still, that's maybe why I started out producing. Maybe that's not why, but in the beginning, I definitely had a thing where I hated hearing my own voice. Like it was like, I liked producing, but I definitely didn't love being on mic. <laughs> Should I let that go by? That's fine. That's part <laughs> of the story. You said it's <laughs> Hey, this is Brooklyn, right? <laughs> That's true. This is Brooklyn. So basically after that, I was looking like right out of graduate school, looking for jobs and Minnesota public radio, weirdly, because Minnesota is not, let me not say it's not an important state, but it's not typically like a hub where people move but it has a really great public radio station. So I moved there to be a producer on a daily news show. It was two hours every day of live radio. Um, I was like taking calls from listeners and booking guests and doing interviews. It was really amazing. It, the woman who was my boss there is still kind of like a mentor wow. figure, but um, 
she was also so people in minnesota i don't know if you guys know the minnesota like stereotypes here in the u.s minnesota like there's a thing called minnesota nice everyone there is really really nice people say that it's because a lot of people there are like nordic and this is maybe a nordic thing too but they're nice but very closed off everyone there they say like minnesotans will give you directions anywhere except to their front door (laughs) and they're very because they don't invite you over so my boss at minnesota public radio was also from new york and everyone at minnesota public radio that my first day was like carrie is going to make you cry no matter what like she's such a hard ass you're gonna end up probably crying every day at work don't worry it happens to everyone but we got along amazing like i i learned so much from her and from producing that show years ago actually i started dabbling in podcasting myself and it was really raw and stuff and the going opinion back then is like when you do podcasting it's not really anything close to radio but when i listen to you you kind mm. of it's like you intermingle the two and i also see a lot of productions the language is the same did you find that there's a difference uh-huh. between doing radio and podcasting now you're right it's not exactly the same it's the skills are basically exactly the same like audio production is what happens in radio and it's also what happens in podcasting it's definitely different it's so much more free like the form itself especially when it comes to first of all what topics you can talk about um it's like if you have something on a a local public radio station or npr or any kind of like radio broadcast there's a lot less freedom there and also has to do to me with like simply the format you know like when i was working in public radio it's everything starts after the newscast on the six of the hour and then it goes to the other newscast and it's very rigid so podcasting is definitely more chill so what got you into podcasting i didn't love minnesota like i i never have a problem making friends and i was there for like two years and i had barely any friends it was cold as hell like it's freezing in minnesota and so somebody who had worked at minnesota public radio was starting to do she was like hiring producers for a TV network in Miami. And I was like, I need to go to Miami. I can't stay in Minnesota any longer. I had never done TV production. Weirdly enough, they had hired a bunch of radio people. They had hired, my boss was a radio guy. We all like kind of learned how to do TV, but not that well. (laughs) Um, So like I was working TV for like two years and that period really made me miss audio production. And that's when I basically left TV to get back into, by that point, it wasn't radio anymore. By that, at that point, I got a job at Midroll, which you mentioned. And actually, yesterday was my last Whoa. day at Midroll. I quit to go full-time freelance. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. I've never like not had a regular job, so it's amazing. It feels Welcome. really good. <laughs> I mean, it's day one. It's literally day one. But <laughs> That's brilliant. So what, what does yeah. the future entail now? It was, it was actually a very like amicable separation from work. So I'm still, luckily, because Akimbo with Seth is, is a project that, I got, that I'm working yeah. on through Midroll. I'm still going to be doing that, which is awesome. amazing. I'm going to be doing that freelance, basically, for Midroll. Season three of Food for Thought just launched last week. So Food for Thought is still happening. It's basically, yeah, like gun for hire, but also ideally like developing new podcasts with people wow, okay. who are either, I I really like working with like authors or artists. So maybe people who don't work in the audio medium, but who want to like develop projects. I I just want to like be doing different things all the time. Not that I I was able to do that at Midworld. It was actually more in like an advertising vein in a lot of ways. Like I was working on like branded stuff, which wasn't 
really my favorite. So now we'll see. I mean, hopefully doing more stuff with Seth. Yeah. But yeah, I think kind of just like focusing on projects like Food for Thought that, that I really feel like that's amazing. About. Alex, like, yeah. I'm going to jump straight into the themes of our second season and it's empowerment. Now that you've dropped mm. the bomb, right? What it sounds to me like is that you are really moving towards this area of empowerment because you are really keen to help other people create content and uh, realize their potential. It feels like you've got this inner urge to help other people create amazing stuff. And that's what you want to focus on. Yeah, that's definitely really accurate. I think that since I have audio production experience, like helping underrepresented voices kind of get out there. And that was like the really the main thing of Food for Thought. So that's really another thing where it's like working with people whose voices might not be so prominent in podcasting and really like working with just those people. Um, And so it definitely is empowerment, but it's also kind of like I realize myself, or at least I feel like maybe my personal experiences or my stories aren't necessarily like as interesting or what necessarily needs to be out there in this moment. And hopefully kind of like working with people to get their experiences and stories a little more out there. While you're talking, I'm thinking about this other aspect of this, right? Food for Thought, Seth, all these things you're doing. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to say that you are kind of like working behind the scenes. And Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that's a tough thing because Mm -hmm. initially in our first season, we spoke a lot about design and we spoke about designers and we spoke about designer ego. And I think Mm. your (laughs) role is interesting because you are, in essence, working behind the scenes, pushing other people's their potential into the market. So it becomes Seth's mm-hmm. show or mm-hmm. Food for Thought. How do you deal with that? Do, do you feel like, hey, I'm Alex, I, I want to be recognized? Mm-hmm. Or is that like something in you that you go yeah. like, I really want to see other people fly and that's what I get the kick out of? That's such a good question. And I've been thinking about that a lot, having like made this decision to go freelance. So the first part of it is I just don't love being the center of attention typically. Every time I get into the studio with Food for Thought, or every time we're at a live event, I sit in my chair and I'm so happy I'm not on stage. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I am so happy you guys are doing this and that I'm just sitting here and like drinking my rosé and having fun and not being stressed. But like, there are people who it's not fun for them to be in my position. Like, you know, like talent. I don't necessarily like identify with that, like the, that urge. On the other hand though, it is something that like, has made me think this is something so buzzfeed audio you guys Mm -hmm. know buzzfeed buzzfeed had like they had a lot of really great shows and they recently laid off a ton of their producers and so one of the producers had like a twitter thread um and she was talking about like advice she had gotten and what her next moves would be and basically the thing though is hosts are much more like indispensable than producers the advice that she had gotten was like you should try and like transition to maybe being on mic and maybe being a host and maybe like doing a little more than behind the scenes stuff yeah basically simply for your career you know what i mean like when you're the host you travel like you go to the panels you do all the fun (laughs) stuff so that got me thinking a little bit recently we'll see i might like try and do some more on mic stuff but i don't i don't dislike being behind the scenes at all it's never like i'm like oh they're getting all the attention and yeah. i'm not i never but i mean you you, you kind of have stepped into the limelight a little bit with your coaching and and, and mentorship you've done, right that's so, true that was very very new like the video you guys saw that seth and i made the the informational video for the fellowship that was my really kind of my first time in that role though you know as like co-host rather than producer 
of course, in true Steph fashion, I wasn't really overthinking it. Steph makes me really yeah. comfortable. Like Steph is the ultimate empowering figure. He empower like I feel like his whole life is about like empowering other people, and it's just like so inspirational. But we, I got to his office, and he was just like, "All right, ready? Let's go in there and record." And like I just sat down, and like he put me in the chair. I was like, "Oh my god, I don't know what I'm gonna say." But yeah, he that's how that's what he does. He just like literally does shit <laughs> like it's like he like he'll call me he called me the other day and was I just finished a book he was like I started it three weeks ago and now it's done like I, I just talked to the publisher and like we're going to be publishing it soon <laughs> How, when did you write a book that's but amazing yeah. <laughs> but I think it's kind of also the, the there's something in that attitude I think sometimes people like myself I, I'm one of those things you over, you overthink things right you sit there and go like yeah mm-hmm. it needs to be this yes. whole big production because I always imagine like I see Seth and I see some of the live stuff that goes out and I've seen you on, right. I'm going like man they probably get right. some makeup done and then there's a script and then they do like some <laughs> takes and now you're telling me like you just walk yeah. in and they go okay cool let's hit record and let's go you guys know Seth's work of course it, it really is I was relatively new to it when I started producing Akimbo always you know how he says go go yeah. go like just ship it he's very much of the like don't overthink it mindset and that it's just like it's such a better way to produce things sometimes you know like of course you really have to pay attention when you do that it's not like just press record and press publish but there's definitely something very liberating about having that attitude it's amazing podcasting is not really new right right these days it has like a second breath how do you think about it i think you know some people always talk about like is this podcasting bubble gonna burst nobody's gonna listen like i don't think people are going to all of a sudden be like actually podcasts suck and like not listen to them. I don't know that like the growth is going to be as crazy as it is, but it kind of seems like it, it just keeps growing, but it's, it's really hard to say. I I'm bad at like doing conjectures about the podcast industry. I mean, because at mid roll that was primarily like a podcast advertising company and based on like the advertising stuff, the advertising dollars mm-hmm. keep increasing. Like it definitely keeps getting bigger. So hopefully that'll keep happening. Radio has been around for as long as any other medium, you know? So I think there's always going to be like something going on with audio production, yeah, hopefully. I, I, I agree with that. I think there's kind of an interesting intersection that might happen in the future because, or oh, I work in a very visual space as well from a digital perspective. Mm-hmm. And the future that we're talking about now is what is the voice interface going to look like with Alexa and all these other things, right? Mm. And that's our fundamental audio, right? Yes. So how could we, yes. how could the podcasting future intersect with that, for example? That could be quite interesting. Uh, that is there's certain things that i just put my blinders yeah. on for whatever reason like bitcoin i don't know why i just don't what know what, i can't think of anything what is bitcoin but and that is something that i have very much like the smart speakers thing among podcasters has been like the buzziest thing for oh, wow. a couple months now and I, i still don't i don't know like i don't even not that i don't know what it means but like gimlet is producing a lot of like stuff with alexa and with So there's definitely something there. There's definitely something that people are focusing on. I have no idea what the story is with it. I probably should. A thing that I'm really interested in, children's media and podcasting. Kobe Bryant, funnily enough, has a new production company and they're doing like a fictional children's podcast that has been like really doing well. Actually, all the way back when I worked, well, not all the way back, but when I worked at Minnesota Public Radio, there were two people there who had this like crazy idea to do like a side project of podcast. Of a, I don't even know if it was a podcast back then, 
of just like a show, maybe they put it on the radio, called Brains On that was like a, a show for kids where they would interview kids about science and stuff. Still going on. Like all these years later, that is like a really big kids show now. So I think the kids, the kids stuff will be cool. And also, I don't know if you guys listen to a lot of fictional podcasts, but I've been kind of into those yeah. recently too. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of stuff still happening. I'm just thinking a fictional one would be like, um, they did this story of this hillbilly that lives somewhere and they... S-Town? S-Town! S-Town. S-Town's real though. Is that real? That's like, that's the whole crazy story wow. in itself. The guy actually did die and... But, but that's so powerful though, the, Alex, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I think... I, I loved S-Town. Mm. I think S-Town was amazing. But... um Actually, one of the ones that I think I had sent to you guys in like the summer listening was called Homecoming, and it was a Gimlet fictional podcast, and that just got adapted. I actually, it might be coming out tomorrow. It's like a new Amazon Prime series with like Julia Roberts. So there's like a lot of fictional podcasts that are being adapted in films and TV, which is also really cool. Like Food for Thought has been approached by HBO and Vice to do tests for like adapting that into a TV show. Nothing has happened, unfortunately. But how, what are people are calling it like the podcast, the Hollywood pipeline is like <laughs> happening. I kind of, I feel like within the, the world of podcasting, it's like this, um, there are people, because I mean, fundamentally, the, the feeling that I got when I did the fellowship with you and Seth is that create the content, tell meaningful stories, be generous, um, mm-hmm. have integrity, do not look at the stats. But then yeah. there's other side of this because there mm-hmm. is also voices out in the industry marketing this. How do you feel about this? Because you, you spoke about the whole idea of storytelling and the, what the medium right. does, but then there's this push that, oh, we need to monetize this. It needs to happen. Right. So basically food for thought is as well known as it is because the reason that we got on that list in New York Mag, like one of the thoughts, one of the hosts is a social media influencer marketing type. He it's always tension within the group because he, we talk about this all the time, he knows this. He says that um, making the podcast is 10% of what we do and marketing it is like 90%. A lot of us, like the other people, myself and some of the other thoughts are always like, but we're making a podcast. Like that's the 90% and the 10 is like the marketing. But in reality, I do think I'm realizing now that like there is some value to actually trying to build and find an audience. And it is in some cases like as much work as actually producing the podcast. The opportunities that we've gotten through his marketing abilities and through his ability to like get us an audience have been amazing. And, but the thing is like, at the same time, I did a podcast this summer with another one of the thoughts, Tommy Pico, who's an amazing indigenous poet from like the VA house reservation in San Diego. And he and I are really good friends. And we just said, he was like, do you want to do a podcast around the release of my new book? We got his publishing company to like give us like 500 bucks each or something. And we just recorded interviews with people around Brooklyn who we admire and who we love. And that has like a thousand listeners an episode, like not at all. You know what I mean? Like none compared to Food for Thought. (laughs) But like that was extremely fun. That was really, really fun and valuable in its own way, but definitely just a whole different thing. So I like working on projects that have a mix of both because you guys talk a lot about experience and stuff. And I think that's a really cool take on podcasts. The podcast I was just mentioning to you, it was accompanying his new book. So it was kind of like almost supplementary of the book. It was like you read the book and then you listen to the podcast as an additional experience. Yeah. 
I don't think this ever really caught on, but it was really cool. Like this, this podcast homecoming that I was just telling you about the fictional one, they would have, I think it was cause they had like a partnership with Apple books <laughs> or something, but they got really creative with it. And it was like at the end of each episode, there was like an optional chapter that you could read on your iPad that was written. That was kind of like an extension of the podcast that added to it, but like it wasn't required in order to understand what was going on. So thinking about that experience of, kind of not just the audio experience, but some additional aspects is also really cool. So thinking of mixing yeah. stuff up, how do you feel about podcasts yeah. versus vlogs? Right. My girlfriend is five years younger than me and she's really, and she's like a screenwriter who is really into film and visual stuff and loves vloggers. <laughs> and she's always, I'm always telling her about podcasts and she's like, but wouldn't that be better? Like if it was a movie <laughs> or like if it was a TV <laughs> show or like if you could see stuff. I miss the vlogging wave. I much prefer to like put on a podcast, go for a walk, than like sit exactly. there and like watch somebody talk. So for me, it's kind of about consumption. I can totally like, especially if it's like just a conversation, why would people need to see us? I guess it's, it's, it's different because it's fun to see people, but I can definitely see with fictional podcasts and stuff where it might be nice to have like visuals, but generally the thing I like about podcasts is that you can huh. put them in your ears and go do mm -hmm. your thing. This The whole idea about podcasting also uh, tweaks in me because uh, we were lucky enough, myself and Agatha, to meet the executive producer of Lord of the Rings. He spoke about sometimes it's also important what you don't show. And mm -hmm. I think Ira Glass That's mentioned true. that audio is one of the most visual mediums that you'll ever find. Yeah. And I think yeah. sometimes what happens with these shows is that the image that you build in your mind is even more powerful than whatever they could have created in video. Yeah. And I think sometimes really you have that true. balance of you don't have to show it because your right. imagination is going to build the most beautiful thing. Yeah, that's so true. I think actually when I was preparing for my creative live talk, Alex Bloomberg, who is the most famous podcaster who started Gimlet Media and who used to work at This American Life and all that, he did a creative live talk and he basically like had an exercise that was very similar to this. I'm not going to do it justice right now because I don't remember, but he basically like played audio clips and like asked people in the audience what that conjured in their minds. And it was like yeah. so vivid, but different for everyone. It was really interesting because it was, it was just like, it very much like sparks people's imaginations in a, in a different way, I think. When you think of podcasting, is life better than pre-recorded? Is dialogue better than monologue? What are the hmm. golden rules? Mm -hmm. Having worked in live radio, that's what I did in, in Minnesota mm -hmm. Public Radio. I would never go back to doing production of live stuff ever again. It's just the stress of that. It just seems like very unnecessary. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know whether it is now that like there are fewer live things, period, but it doesn't seem to me like the advantages of having a live conversation that's broadcast out are worth the production stress and all of the processes involved. Yeah. So, I mean, live events are amazing, but live broadcasts are... I, I don't think that there's like a huge advantage there. And when it comes to format, it's not that I don't think there's one better than the other. It's a documentary versus a vlog versus Lord of the Rings. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. there's all these, uh, a monologue, like Seth's podcast and S-Town, they're not like they're podcasts, but they're not even close to the same thing. I definitely like narrative shows. This American Life is obviously a classic version of that. Um, and those are shows that 
are much more difficult to produce, as you guys know, than like a conversational podcast. But I also love listening to chat podcasts like this one. And I love what you guys have done. It's really cool that you like have a theme. And I think that you guys did a really, really good job of finding a focus and finding guests that fill in that focal point, basically. And, And I think that's also important. You're raising a good point. You also highlighted this, and I know Seth also talks about this a lot, is about thinking about your niche audience. Mm-hmm. Because I do yeah. think that there's people who go too wide. Like, do you, do you have some tips about, now I want to start something, how do I find my niche audience? I do think that when it comes to finding your niche, it's kind of figuring out what about you or the people yeah. you're working with or like the topic, what makes that unique and what makes that different than other things out there. And I think like that is a way of kind of finding your niche. Because I actually got into a very heated debate with uh, in some forum somewhere about this. Yeah. I don't think either side's wrong. <laughs> it kind of goes back to this um, conversation around the marketing and monetization of shows is that mm-hmm. there's contradicting things or they might work together. Let's see if I can explain myself. If you look at Seth's blog or any blog out there is you write down your thoughts and mm-hmm. people who read those thoughts they resonate with you. It has meaning for them, but it's inevitably Seth's thoughts. He's not trying to write it for Vanna or for Aga or for Alex. I mean, I have, a, I have another uh, podcast that I'm doing, and for me, that podcast is inherently very selfish. It's mine. I'm creating yeah. the content. I have an idea of who would listen, but I, I'm creating it, and I'm putting yeah. it out in the world. And if someone likes it, I would love for them to like it, but yeah. it's also okay if no one listens. It's my right. creation. My friend and I, the podcast that we made over the summer, our goal was to have fun making something creative that we enjoyed. You know what I mean? And that was, yeah. so that was the example of like the very selfish podcast. But it's not any less selfish that like we want to make money with food for thought. Like I think it's all selfish, but it's figuring out from the very beginning yeah. what the goals of the project are. And it's obviously m- much harder to have the second goal of finding an audience and monetizing every reason that you can think of but I think like it's hard to say better or worse but I do think there's big value in both of those when you create a podcast typically you think of some message that you try to convey there is this difference that if you do it in the more mainstream media like a radio or tv Mm -hmm. you're sort of constrained with respect to how you address certain topics especially the topics that are maybe a little bit more difficult maybe less popular Mm -hmm. or less mainstream how do you see podcasting as a platform for having those voices for having the space to actually talk about stuff that other people are afraid to talk about or maybe you know they don't dare to talk about i think it's a lot to do with maybe like with with radio Mm -hmm. like let's say minnesota public radio in order to get a show or a program on minnesota public radio it has to appeal to enough people that it's going to be valuable for the station same with like any TV stuff in order to be on a mainstream platform, like you have to appeal to enough people to make it mainstream with podcasting. When there is the opportunity to create and make something where you don't have to worry about like satisfying the higher ups or like appealing to a broader audience that just allows for basically not more topics, but yeah, like a a wider range of more niche stuff that you can talk about as opposed to something that has to appeal to broad number of people if you were thinking what it means to make a ruckus with podcasting i think the project that i like identify most with making a ruckus is both food for thought and honestly the podcast fellowship the podcast fellowship it's been by the end of this year 
a thousand people who have never basically picked up a microphone know how to podcast. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is definitely something that's like making a ruckus. So when we met to start Food for Thought, and I touched on this a little earlier, the whole goal of it was to kind of get new perspectives out into the the podcasting world that weren't necessarily there. And that sounds like crazy, but like there really weren't that many queer podcasts two years ago. There still aren't. So I think also making a ruckus is finding subjects and voices that aren't necessarily like hugely represented in podcasting and media and lifting those up and highlighting those. So I think that's a big part of the ruckus that I try to make as well. There are those differences that you've got podcasts, like conversations. But actually, I think that many of the podcasts like S-Town or 99% Invisible, they are more immersive yeah. audio experiences, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. if the word yeah. is appropriate here. How do you see the difference between them? I actually haven't produced that many like narrative podcasts in that, like, that are in that vein. And it's something that I really want to do eventually. It does require a team of people, typically. Um, I think... There is something about those immersive audio experiences that I don't want to say draws people in more because they're huge fans of all genres of podcasts. But I think it's something that when you listen to it and when you're experiencing it, you can tell that it's something that has been really crafted and produced. Kind of like, you know, when you watch a film. Those podcasts are a totally different experience. I can't say more valuable. That's not the right word, but I'm less likely maybe to skip an episode of S-Town than I would be to a chat podcast I listen to. It's almost yeah. like more valuable, but not more. <laughs> I'm not doing a good job of explaining, but it's something, it's just a, it's just like a higher level of production and, and storytelling that you can't tell stories like that in an interview mm-hmm. style podcast. It's just like not possible. Yeah. That's not what interview style podcasts do. So those narrative podcasts like 99% Invisible and S-Town, those just like tell stories in such a different way that I, I mean, it's really hard to do, but when you do it right, it's, it's amazing. We've been skirting around this a little bit and I've been thinking about how to ask this question. Mm. So Food for Thought is Mm -hmm. you guys have a certain audience, but then also underpinning this, you're also addressing uh, or you are giving voice to a audience or to a group of people that find it tough from time to time, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, I can see how you empower through food for thought to do these things now i mean and i'll give you i'll give you an example because this has been a, a difficult one for me i gave i get this example so from time to time i i interview female designers mm-hmm. and i can also see from from my listenership that people love what female designers have to say and mm-hmm. the people that i've spoken to i fundamentally respect and i i always find like i want to ask them a question around gender discrimination Mm. But the thing is, I've always found it very hard to address that topic in my interviews. Now, the interviews mm-hmm. aren't quite hard and fun always. I mean, there is a space to ask it. But as a man asking a fellow or female designer about why she finds it tough, I sometimes feel uncomfortable doing that. Yeah. Do you have any advice around how you could address topics that you could potentially feel a little bit uncomfortable with, but you feel it needs mm-hmm. to be addressed? Should I be addressing it in the first place, maybe? Should I be that person? I think that is part of what people do want to hear. And that's like part of the reason I'm sure many women designers are on your show. I think it's really important to have people hear about those experiences. I think it's good that you're even aware of the fact that that might be weird coming from a man. But I do also think when you're asking it in a compassionate and curious way, that that's something that 
women would appreciate sharing that experience. It, it's almost like the Me Too movement type thing where it's women are sharing what they went through that other people have no idea that they were even experiencing. So I think explaining the kind of either the discrimination or what women face in design is something that people just might not be aware of it. And so it's really important, I think, for people to share those difficult experiences. I don't think you should skirt away from asking that. I'm speaking to this person I respect and I'm asking her about it because I generally want to understand more because I might right. be guilty of some of those missteps myself. Right. But then, right. then in one way, I want to say when I, I don't ask these kind of questions when I interview male designers. Right. Which right. isn't that discrimination in itself because I should actually... Well, they don't male, deal with the discrimination. I should say like, you know what I mean? discriminate yeah. against women. It's a tough one, I know. It's definitely tough, but I, I really think it has to do with how you approach it and how you react even like it's like i'm white if i was interviewing a person of color and asking about their experiences i think it's very important that you don't interject with your opinions on it or something yeah, you know what i mean or like, kind of like try and validate or invalidate their experience but i don't think it's, it's not something that you can't address and i think it is good to address as a white person or as a man talking to a woman i i think it's good to address but it's also very important to me and i think i'm i try to be aware of this to not kind of like try and leave my comments on the experience as much as kind of just like listen mm -hmm. and learn. How is the situation with women in podcasting and in the radio? There's a women in podcasting festival called Work It that happens every year for the past couple of years. And there are a ton of women in podcasting for sure. Like it's, it's not that there aren't women there. It's definitely the exact same situation as the discrimination that women face in other industries. I have a woman friend, she's a great friend. She left she left the company that I worked for to start her own production company, which is another huge thing that people are doing is starting their own little production companies. And those are production companies for hire where it's people hire them to produce their podcasts. I talk with her, I meet with her basically like once a month to like just talk shit, hear what she's up to and how it is. Cause she was like a public radio producer like me. And now she is a businesswoman who has six employees and is giving benefits uh, to yeah. and is like pitching budgets and stuff. So it, it's just such classic, you know, if, if a man were to suggest a certain budget, she's, she's heard instances of like pitching a project and pitching a budget to a company or to a client and they'll kind of like balk at the budget. But then another production company led by a man will get the project yeah. even a higher budget. And so it's, of course, it's hard to say like, was that maybe they had a better pitch, but there's, enough instances of that where it's still the same the same kind of stuff mm -hmm. you know so if you yeah. as a female producer and podcaster mm -hmm. had no money issues and no fear what would you do ultimately i would say it's like about collaborating with people who i really admire and whose work i think is important and working with them to develop honestly anything what i would do is work with people I can learn from. We chose to do this podcast in a season, so like go Netflix style. And typically podcasts are like the stuff that you weekly release a new episode. What is your opinion uh -huh. on these two approaches? When I worked at Midroll, there was like an entire audience development team that worked on answering those questions because there would be new shows that we would acquire or like clients who we're making podcasts for. It's There's honestly like no conclusive answer either way as to what people like more generally speaking if it's like an s-town that's a narrative podcast six episodes of a story 
people do like being able to binge that like they do like a Netflix thing. If it's a chat podcast, I think it's nice to do it weekly. With chat podcasts, it can be overwhelming. Like when you all of a sudden your feed get 15 episodes. Like when I listen to chat shows, I'll listen 20 minutes here and like put my phone down and then like do it again later in the week. And then like when the next episode comes out, I'll do the same thing. But I think it definitely gets overwhelming for me when I see a ton in my feed. Yeah, and I think with chat also you need a little time to reflect, right? Yeah. Because usually the actual insights that you gain from a chat or an interview is That's actually very true. It's when you think about things. And That's go, oh, totally yeah. true. And now I want to ask a question to a super producer mm. because this is something that gets discussed by myself and friends a lot. Our producer has Apple headphones yeah. and the two geeks that you trained <laughs> has these elaborate sets and microphones. I it's, know. It's, thing to be behold right <laughs> but this brings me to my question is that sometimes we get a bit carried away with gear yeah that's one thing we've addressed before but then the other thing is production quality mm-hmm. and something that i f- find quite difficult sometimes with podcasting is that uh, it recently happened with me where uh, zencaster didn't work and the only thing i have is not the greatest audio file and, and even if you listen to some of our older shows from catching the next wave mm-hmm. some of the audio is better than other audio how does this production quality play into this? Like mm-hmm. how hypersensitive do we need to be around the production value, audio value of, yeah. of our show? I try to be really sensitive. When I'm producing a show, it's very important to have really good audio quality. If I put on a podcast and like it sounds like the person is across the room and the microphone is over here, I don't listen to it. It's like maybe watching a movie with blurry or something. You know what I mean? So I think if you're really serious about it, it is pretty important. Sometimes people will have like the Zoom, they'll be recording a two-person interview and it's just like sitting there in the middle of the room. That's not good enough. This has happened with Food for Thought. We've done a couple different live shows, live shows that were meant to be broadcast as episodes, but like the audio just wasn't good enough. Just Just had arguments where it's like, let's just air it anyway. Like, it's fine. Like, but in the end, I definitely think if the audio quality is not there, people, it's, it's hard to ask people to listen. There's the other aspect to it. I get like super annoyed very quickly if I have a podcast, which basically has a lot of these things like repetitions and right. those verbal right. messy statements. And I yeah. cannot listen to it, how clean it should Honestly, be. Honestly, maybe it comes down to just like personal preference because that's something. Yeah. So with Food for Thought, the process there is we'll have a two hour recording session and then I edit it down to like an hour, 55 minutes, and then I send it to the hosts to listen and then they give me edits. There's always one one person who's like, edit out my um, edit out that little pause, edit this, that like, and it's stuff where it's just hypersensitive. It's, we're having a conversation, you don't have to take that stuff out. On the other hand, the kind of editing that I do think is really valuable is you've asked me amazing questions and I have it's a tendency a lot of people have in interviews ramble maybe one of the questions you asked me like I answered you five minutes but there's one minute of good material in there so I think the editing is more about yeah. like picking out that good material rather than like editing out the ums and ahs but having said that and this is something I guess yeah I can't relate to there are two two and a half hour podcasts that people love there's like Mark Maron's podcast a two and a half hour unedited interview and that's one of the yeah. most popular podcasts there is i've literally never listened to an entire two and a half hour podcast <laughs> that's just not for me but that is for some people so i think i really think it's kind yeah. of personal preference if you were to suggest a book to our audience what would it be 
there's a book called Out on the Wire. I think that's an amazing book. And I reference that book like at the start of a lot of projects, even though that's like, that's definitely narrative podcast based, but I think there's a ton of really valuable stuff in there. Not just podcast producers, it's definitely focused on podcast production, but for storytellers in general. So I definitely think people should check out Out on the Wire by Jessica Abel. It's really good. Alex, thank you so much for making the time to sit with us. You're a mentor, you're a teacher, and you're inspirational. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. This was such a lovely conversation. I'm excited to hear season two. Thank Thank you again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Catching the Next Wave podcast. We really appreciate it. Even better, we would love to connect with you. You can reach us on Twitter at at Marcus 6 and at WienerDog. And for more information, you can always go to www.catchingthenextwavepodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you.